0: To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at Marketplace.org donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at Marketplace.org slash donate. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old dot-com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. We shall talk jobs today because, of course, we shall talk the politics of this economy because, increasingly, of course, and then cookies, not the tasty kind, sadly, from American Public Media. This is Marketplace. In Los Angeles, I'm Kai Rizal. It is Friday. Today, the 5th of January. Good as always to have you along, everybody. We are going to talk about the past five days in this economy for the next six or seven minutes or so, and we are going to do it this way. We will get to the nuts and bolts of things, of course, today's jobs report, the Federal Reserve, yada yada, yada. And then we're going to get to the politics of it a little bit because it is getting to be that time. So, Sudeep Reddy is at Politico. Heather Long is at the Washington Post. Hey, you two. Hey, Kai, Kai. Sadeep, let me start with you uh, and this morning's jobs report. 216,000 new jobs last month. The economy added uh, the unemployment rate at 3.7%. Does this change your base case
1: analysis of this economy at all? It uh, does not change that much. It's it, People are calling it Goldilocks. Uh, mm-hmm. The Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was out there doing a soft landing victory lap, mm-hmm. which... Uh, Madam Secretary uh, <laughs> is very bold to be doing something <sighs> like that in a moment like this. But but she's on the facts of today. She's pretty much right. Inflation has been coming down. The job market has been slowing down, but not in a, in a terribly bad way. This is a very good place to be and not where any of us expected we would be. Uh, if you look back a year ago, there was a lot of angst about what would be coming. And the, the people who are in charge of engineering this deserve a lot of credit for getting to this point after they get the blame for screwing it up. in the first place. <laughs> right. As is always the case, um, Heather, I want to pick up on the
0: on the very faint hemming and hawing Sudeep did at the top of his answer, because while good uh, this jobs report was and, and Goldilocks and all that, and we are economically in a good place, it is not all sunshine and light.
2: That's probably true. I'd call it a B-plus report. So it's still pretty light, hmm. wow. but why do we downgrade it from an A? And you're right. The The funny thing, the head scratcher here was we saw a big drop-off in labor force participation mm-hmm. and in employment, particularly among 20 people in prime age, 25-year-old to 54-year-old. It's it's really odd. It's not fully explained. And everybody suddenly decided, I want a job in November. And then December, they decided not to have a job. There were a bunch of revisions that happened to the report, some of this technical jumbo jumbo. So I would say (laughs) it's one of those we're going to we're going to watch. If you look at all the other job indicators, for instance, the unemployment claims that came out on Thursday, Mm -hmm. those still look really good. We're not seeing some surge in people suddenly losing jobs or struggling to find jobs. So uh, there was that little bit of asterisk here, but I wouldn't say anybody's panicking.
0: Sudeep, just super quick on on, uh, uh, the people who get the credit and also the blame, specifically here, Jay Powell. Just very briefly, he breathed a little sigh of relief when this came out. What do you think his thoughts were?
1: He absolutely could and should breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah. He's also, though, looking at uh, a whole long list of, of other non-government data that is flashing some sign of concern, and he's got to watch that very nervously. they are purchasing manager gauges that don't look very pretty right now. Some are manufacturing in, in recession, services not as good as it, as it should be right now. There are, there, I could probably come up with a dozen of them right off the top of my head. And he's watching those and thinking, oh, oh boy, could it still be a bumpy 2024?
0: Well, Heather, do, do a little bit of that work, right? Separate the signal from the noise here. What is the thing you are looking, things you are going to be looking at versus the stuff that the rest of us just shouldn't pay attention to?
2: Uh, for me, the number one thing to watch are the jobless claims and the number of people employed. We are a consumer economy at the end of the day, and as long as people stay employed and and keep those paychecks coming, they they will continue to spend as we learn through this holiday. Uh, so far, no, no real panic signs yet, but certainly uh, week to week, the that data on Thursday morning is very important.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's turn to the politics of this economy because it, it is going to become increasingly relevant as the year goes on. Sudeep, we were talking about uh, our, our chat in our morning meeting this morning, and I said to the producers, I said, so look, I've got this note that I want to talk to Sadeep about. It says, um, when is Congress going to start screwing things up? And uh, Sean McHenry,
1: who is directing the program today, Said Monday, uh, what, what what do you think? We have a couple more weeks than that before right. uh, Congress could could screw screw it up. Look, the the incentives are stacked in favor of both parties getting something done because neither one wants to be the blame, uh, get the blame in an election year for screwing it up. And so the the rational politics are set up that way. But we all know Congress is not rational, and mm-hmm. and the the speaker, uh, Speaker Johnson, has a lot of uh, problems he's got to deal with right. in his caucus. And so he he knows this is the one thing he's got to get done if he wants to remain speaker, and the one thing he needs to get. To if he if he wants his party to win again in November, and so the I I, I do tend to lean slightly toward they're going to figure it out, but hmm. you never want to really make uh, make extensive bets on the united states congress yeah. <laughs> no one never does R- remind
0: me sudeep the first date of of government running out of money is there's the 19th right you you've, you've, we're we're looking at yeah. roughly two weeks this has yeah. to get done yeah all right um heather you were writing earlier this week about uh, the overall state of this economy which we have agreed in this conversation and, and more broadly is good and going the right way and you were writing about President Biden not getting the credit. And we all kind of know why, right? Prices are still elevated. People are feeling inflation. They hate inflation, even though it's coming down. Here's my question to you as we head into uh, and are in now an election year. There will come a time when the economic mood gets firmly established before the election. We're not there yet. But my question to you is, how long does Biden have, do you think, to turn the mood around? Ooh,
2: well, basically, April, May, June is when mm-hmm. people will codify their view. That's the traditional research shows. Six months before the election, people lock in their assessment of the economy. The good news, if you're the White House, is a lot of these indicators have been coming in really strongly. Gas prices are generally down. Stock market has generally been up. And the even the sentiment indicators, while certainly not High have looked a mm-hmm. little bit better in December, and hopefully coming into January, and they've got a few more months to hopefully build on that. The bad news is the term Bidenomics is terrible; it's not resonating. People don't like it. They really need a new word. Maybe they should adopt Beyonce's Renaissance term. <laughs> I, I don't know, but uh, and and they need some better messengers. Uh, right or wrong, you, you got to kind of scratch your head and and say why can the White House not find someone who could really deliver this message well for them.
1: Sudeep, what do you think? Can he do it? He, he's, he's got to ask that age-old question, are you better off than you were four years ago? And he hmm. can find a way to answer that in a way that benefits him. He just has to make sure nothing else goes wrong in the next few months with a, a, a world on fire and a lot of oil-relevant crises out there. There yeah. are things that could go wrong, but if you can keep that from going wrong, he actually can can pull this off in terms of, of reshaping the narrative in the coming months. Sidi Bredi at Politico on this Friday. Heather Long as well. Thanks, you two. Thanks,
0: Thanks Guy. Have a nice weekend. Wall Street on this Jobs Day Friday. Big jump early, a fade and then a bounce and then a fade and then a bounce. Kind of a choose your own adventure day in equities. We'll have the details when we do the numbers. Out with the old, in with the new. That is, of course, the theme when the year turns over. And for 2024, as it has been for the past couple of years, people have been taking their lists of what's in and what's out to social media. Maybe you've seen them floating around in your feed. Well, today we're making a list of our own, what is in and what is out when it comes to the economy. Marketplace's Kristen Schwab made some calls.
3: Sean Snaith has his personal list of what's in and out this year. At the top of what's in is a goal we all know well. He wants to exercise more.
4: This is a form of shaming on a national scale, perhaps, uh, that will make me go to the gym. That's
3: one of his promises to himself for 2024. But Snaith, who directs the Institute for Economic Forecasting at the University of Central Florida, says his economic in and out list is more about predictions. And he thinks this year looks a little clearer.
0: The uh, widespread belief that the U.S. economy is uh, heading into a recession, seems to be out.
3: That out depends on some other ins and outs. Like Snaith says high levels of consumer spending, out. Also out?
0: Workers having the strong upper hand over employers.
3: Meanwhile, Carol Labinder, an economist at Haverford College, has a sense for what's on the list at the Federal Reserve. Out with the rate hikes and potentially in with rate cuts. These are pretty positive visions for 2024. Though, like any intentions we set at the beginning of the year, hurdles can get in the way. Binder says one is oil. Oil prices were relatively steady in 2023, and it seems unlikely that we'll have that much good luck in 2024. Partly because of potential disruptions from the Israel-Hamas war, which touches on one more unfortunate in from economist Francesco Bianchi at Johns Hopkins, geopolitical uncertainty.
4: 2024 will be a very stressful year. Uh, in terms of uh, exactly what kind of uh, global economy we are going to have going forward.
3: Global conflicts, ongoing trade tensions, elections both here and abroad. A lot is happening this year. Just don't let yourself use that as an excuse to skip the gym. I'm Kristen Schwab for Marketplace.
0: There was economic data of the non-jobs variety out today. Factory orders, which is to say manufacturing, were up better than 2.5% in November, more than people had been guessing. Again, that is month on month. Year over year, though, up less than 1%. And manufacturing employment barely budged over the past year, even though the economy added about 2.7 million jobs overall. Marketplace's Mitchell Hartman reports now on what's ailing American manufacturing. In the
4: face of high interest rates and a weakening global economy, manufacturing activity was in contraction for all of 2023.
5: Running a manufacturing business is pretty damn hard work right now.
4: Ned Hill teaches economic development at Ohio State University. He says surveys of local manufacturers find that hiring entry-level workers is a top concern. Plus,
5: those that deal with housing products are nervous about interest rates. One-third of the Small to mid-sized companies that responded are trying to sell their businesses, which to me is a sign of uncertainty.
4: OK, all this does sound pretty grim. But actually, says Mark Zandi at Moody's Analytics, with interest rates so high, we should be grateful it's not way worse. Manufacturing is generally the part of the economy that goes down the tubes and pushes it into recession. So the fact that it kind of held its own, uh, pretty incredible. I mean, typically in a rising rate environment, you see lots of job losses. Zandi says one reason that hasn't happened, the federal government has invested billions in infrastructure, electric vehicle, and semiconductor production. Luckily, those are some of the industries Lyman Munson's small manufacturing company in Columbia, South Carolina, serves.
6: We're involved in the final fit and finish of components like crankshafts, jet engine blades, so the jet engine goes all the way to Europe.
4: Munson sees more demand on the horizon.
6: We're excited about reshoring manufacturing sites to be closer to their end users. Transportation industry, we're through the strike and lots of demand
3: for vehicles.
4: He says right now, business for his 35-employee manufacturing operation is good. I'm Mitchell Hartman for Marketplace.
0: was talking there about american manufacturers and how they're doing as we put 2023 in the books is the answer as you heard but they were in fact manufacturing things which do have to get where they're going right both domestically and overseas so we wanted to talk shipping especially given that there are some turbulent waters out there looking at you red sea and panama canal gretchen blau is the customs broker we know so we called her she's at logistics plus in erie pennsylvania
5: There's quite a few challenges that are out there for the average importer and shipper and, you know, we're helping them meet those challenges and find ways to work around them. Most of the major shipping companies have designated routes between, you know, Europe and the East Coast and Asia and the West Coast. It's in the shipping company's best interest to stay ahead of the curve when these disruptions occur. They have to plan ahead and make sure that the ship is fully stocked for the crew. You know, the food, the linens, the water. So they really try and stay ahead of the curve and make sure that they can take the fastest route possible. Some challenges that our customers are facing would be with... Um, the Panama Canal situation where the water is so low that it's hard for big shipping container vessels to transit it. So what we've been doing there is recommending that everything is shipped into an East Coast port from Europe. Asian shipments ship to a West Coast port and then truck to the final destination and also the West Coast of Canada and trucking and railing down there. You know, our, our customers are mainly worried about these situations. Um, so, you know, we just reassure them that there are ways around it and we make sure that all the legs of the journey fit together and their freight gets where it belongs. But there are longer transit times. So they're coming to us and relying on us more and more to meet these challenges. So, you know, in my opinion, our outlook is good since we can solve these issues for them.
0: Gretchen Blau, she's the customs broker we know at Logistics Plus out of Erie, PA.
1: Coming up.
7: There was a tiny little space in the back of our store. We called it the magical kitchen.
0: Got to make the most of what you got. Am I right? First, though, let's do the numbers. The Dow Industrials on this Friday up 25 points, less than a tenth percent, 37,466 at the bell. The Nasdaq added 13 points, also less than a tenth percent. 14,524. The S&P 500 picked up eight points, almost two-tenths percent there, forty-six and ninety-seven For the first week of oh, the year, the Dow subtracted six-tenths percent. The Nasdaq was down three and a quarter percent. The S&P 500 slid about a percent and a half. The Food and Drug Administration announced today it's going to let the state of Florida start importing cheaper pharmaceuticals from Canada. The FDA says it'll work with other states that want to do the same. Big Pharma is shall we say, not happy about that. The Drug Makers Trade Group says it's considering, quote, all options to prevent the policy harming patients, end of quote. Remember, it's a lobbying group. Bristol-Myers Squib rose almost four-tenths percent. Today, Eli Lilly and company gained nearly two-thirds percent. Johnson & Johnson picked up about three-tenths percent. Bond prices fell. The yield on the 10-year T-note up to 4.05 percent by the end of the day. You're listening to Marketplace.
3: This Marketplace podcast is supported by Palo Alto Networks. As you innovate to transform your business in today's digital world, how do you stay secure? At Palo Alto Networks, our mission is to protect your digital way of life. Whether it's unprecedented opportunities or uncertainties with AI and whatever comes next, we continually deliver innovation to make each day safer and more secure than the one before. More at paloaltonetworks.com.
0: This is Marketplace. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Pretty much from the beginning, the Internet, as we have come to know it, has been fueled by ads. And those ads have been fueled by, which is to say, guided to relevant users, by cookies. Those little bits of code that websites put on your device so that advertisers can basically follow you around online. That jacket you clicked on a week ago that shows up all the time now? Cookies. Also, pretty much from the beginning, Privacy advocates have complained that cookies are a privacy nightmare. Well, this week, Google started phasing out some of those third-party cookies on its Chrome browser. Not for nothing, the most popular browser in the world. Marketplace's Kimberly Adams has more on what that means for us.
8: This change isn't about all cookies. Garrett Johnson teaches at Boston University's Questrom School of Business.
4: Websites still allow for first-party cookies, which is very useful for the website to be able to remember, for instance, that you've found a product that you want to purchase and and it will stay in your checkout. The change is about third-party cookies, the
8: ones that track you across sites. That is changing the way everybody does business online, and not just businesses. Kate Holliday is vice president of politics and public affairs at advertising firm Powers Interactive Digital.
6: The deprecation of the third-party cookie in 2024 is really poised to shake things up because, you know, we're essentially going to have to recalibrate how we effectively find voters and target to them online.
8: With this phase-out, Google is introducing what it calls its Privacy Sandbox, a set of new tools that still track your behavior online. Victor Wong is Google's Senior Director of Product Management for the effort.
4: We're aiming to make it possible to show relevant ads without showing who the user is. And so the user themselves hopefully will see uh, relevant ads still after we make this change fully.
8: Other companies are also trying to come up with cookie replacements of their own. And while the transition away from cookies has begun, what nobody is getting away from anytime soon? Targeted online ads. In Washington, I'm Kimberly Adams for Marketplace.
0: Retail vacancy rates in New York City are just about back to where they were in the before times. A lot of new businesses have moved in, and existing ones have expanded and sometimes added more locations. One of those existing businesses is a little ice cream shop in Brooklyn. We took you there first almost three years ago, just as the worst fears of the pandemic were starting to fade. Marketplace's Samantha Fields went back the other day to see how things have changed.
6: When I first met Pooja Bhavishi back in early 2021, most people hadn't gotten vaccines yet. The world hadn't fully reopened. And her ice cream shop, Malai, only had one location, a little boutique storefront in an upscale neighborhood in Brooklyn, where you can walk in off the street and get a scoop or two of Indian-inspired ice cream flavors.
3: So our signature is the rose
8: with cinnamon roasted almonds. Star anise, we just put out toasted nutmeg and the May state, all of which have been very popular.
6: By the spring of 2021, Malai had reopened to customers, but not fully. You could go in and get a cup or a cone, but you couldn't sit there and eat it. And not that many people were walking in. But a ton of people were ordering ice cream online. Back then, Bavishi told me, through a mask, when COVID
7: hit, Our shipments went up
6: by 1,200 (sighs) percent. 1,200 percent. Which is why the last time I talked to her, she was looking to expand and open a second location. Not another storefront, an industrial commercial space where her team could make, pack, and ship all of that ice cream.
7: That was March of 2021 when we had the time to be able to kind of look at spaces. But it was still our off season. And so we then went full swing into our peak season starting in April. And so that kind of got put to the side.
6: It turns out she never ended up signing a lease on a production space in 2021.
7: And then, you know, honestly, in 2022, buying behavior changed again. Our e-com online ordering for nationwide shipping went down where our brick and mortar went up.
6: So it no longer felt necessary to spend the money to rent a big production and fulfillment center.
7: And so we focused our growth on other opportunities. A lot of
6: that growth actually happened in 2023, primarily in brick and mortar. Bavishi found three new spaces for Malai a kiosk at a food hall in Manhattan that opened in April, a new storefront in Washington, D.C., which will open soon, and that production space and fulfillment center she had been looking for back in 2021 in Brooklyn, where they now make all the ice cream for their stores and for online orders. That's where I met her again recently for a tour.
7: You came to our old space, so you remember what our production space looked like back then? It was a tiny little space in the back of our store. We called it the magical kitchen.
6: This new space is the opposite of tiny.
7: It's a long rectangular space that includes a very large walk-in freezer and a walk-in refrigerator, which takes up about a quarter of the entire production space.
6: The walls that are not taken up by the giant freezer are lined floor-to-ceiling with metal shelves, stacked with shipping boxes and empty pint containers in every color, waiting to be packed with ice cream. In one corner, there's a makeshift office area, big enough for the team, which has doubled in the last couple of years. In another, there's a dedicated shipping area, where two employees are breaking up giant blocks of dry ice with hammers to pack and ship online orders. And way in the back, by the wall of windows...
7: We have our ice cream maker. We have a double oven this time. We've upgraded to a floor mixer, a dishwasher, which is a very big upgrade. Today,
6: there's also a little team of three making ice cream. Two of them are getting trained.
8: Okay, y'all. This is saffron pistachio. So, it
6: is a saffron based ice cream. We're going
7: in. This is the first year. It feels like 2023 feels like the first year where we're back on track. We've been able to see the growth which feels exciting.
6: It hasn't been easy getting to this place, with COVID, supply chain issues, inflation, and hiring challenges.
7: But, you know, food businesses in general are really tough, and margins are are slim, and costs are high. And so I think that those problems will keep coming. Like It's not smooth sailing from here on out. But, Bavishi says, she knew that
6: was part of the deal going in. I'm Samantha Fields for Marketplace.
0: Final note on the way out today. Sudeep talked about this, but it's worth a revisit because, honestly, it's kind of a big deal. Janet Yellen gets to say things Jay Powell does not. Yellen, of course, the secretary of the Treasury, now Fed chair in days gone by. Yellen talking to CNN today. She basically said, we're done. Soft landing. Made it. What we're seeing now, I think we can describe as a soft landing. That's the actual quote. Our theme music was composed by BJ Lederman. Marketplace's executive producer is Nancy Fargali. Donna Tam is the executive editor. Neil Scarborough is vice president and general manager. I'm Kai Rizdal. Have yourselves a great weekend, everybody. We will see you again on Monday, all right? This is APM.
3: We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist, and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion, I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like two hundred dollars a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplaces. This is uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self care and the real motivations behind our spending choices.